Well, we started our first carol of the morning was about Jesus being born as a king. That was part of his purpose. He told Pilate that was one of the reasons he came. And we use the term kingdom uh, often in our, our Christianese without really thinking about what it means, how it applies to our life every day. So I thought we'd explore that. This is a Christmas message. It's my only Christmas message for this year. But it has to do with Jesus coming as a king. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 18, there's a, a line in a song. Moses was a singer. And after the children of Israel were delivered from the, the mightiest king on earth, the mightiest kingdom on earth, who held them in slavery for over 400 years. You think of that. That's uh, almost as twice as old as America. It's a long time to be held captive in bondage, living in, in slum conditions, being used up just for your labor, and then you die and your kids are born into slavery. It's a horrible, horrible condition. God heard their cries. He heard their heart. And... Uh, delivered them. And when they got on the other side of the, the Red Sea, did I say the Jordan earlier? I meant the Red Sea. When they got on the other side of the Red Sea, Moses does a jig. He is so excited. He's so thrilled. And one of the lines that he says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 18, he says, Jehovah shall reign forever and ever. And that word reign is, is, to, is to rule as a king or to be in control as a king. And he's, he's going to reign forever and ever. And it's our first glimpse in the Bible of anything to do with king or kingdom of God in terms of uh, God being our king. So Moses had this glimpse that God is, is sitting, ruling and reigning, and that he will do this forever. And he just disposed so handily uh, the mightiest king on earth. He just simply disposed of him and led the people out. And he takes them... Uh, the children of Israel, he takes them out into the wilderness where there's nothing. There's nothing that grows. There's no malls. There's no streets. There's no, there's no food. There's no water. Uh, there's no Wi-Fi. I mean, there's nothing. It's a barren, barren land. He takes them out where there's nothing, and he provides for them everything that they need, including water miraculously coming out of a rock, Food coming down from heaven for the next 40 years, feeding millions of people. Um, all their cattle survived. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes never wore out. They're healthy. I mean, he led them into a place of a tremendous transformation where he, he showed them that he can, he, as a king, he can provide for his own. And he guided them. He had them get up and move their camps regularly so that he could lead them and take them different places. And when the enemies uh, tried to come against them, he showed how mighty he was as a king, and he handily took care of all of their enemies. And he began speaking to them through the prophet Moses and began ex explaining the rules, the laws of his kingdom. And his kingdom was different. That's where the word holy comes from. It means different. It's, it, the, the rules of his kingdom were entirely different than any kingdom on earth. There is no kingdom like his kingdom. And he came and he says, this is how you will conduct yourself. This is how you relate to each other. If someone borrows something and it's broken, here's how you return it. 
If someone uh, does something wrong, here's how to rectify that. And he explained how they're to conduct themselves under the rules of him as king. The difference, the only difference between um, him as king and the others is you can't see him. He's the invisible king. But he's nonetheless a king. He rules and reigns forever. He tells them what to eat. And these rules, he explained to them, he says, every rule I've given you, every law I'm giving you is for your good. He said, there's things that you should not eat. He wanted a, a, a people who were healthy and vibrant. And so he laid down rules and said, don't eat this, don't eat that. He told them how to bathe. No one in Egypt had ever told them how to exercise any hygiene. He told them how to, he said, I'll tell you what, if you leave trash laying around everywhere, I won't walk among you. I don't want you to litter. When you go to the bathroom, the way, that, the way that it's done in every nation, I've been to, I've been to all over the world and I've seen it. People just step out of the doors and just go to the bathroom. He said, for my people, they won't do this because he didn't explain it, he, but there are diseases that will easily transfer from one person to another, to another and ruin the, the people. He told them how to do finances. He told them how to treat people, how to treat strangers. Uh, one of the things, if you travel at all, uh, you go to one place and there's a, a special price for the foreigner, then there's a price for the locals. He said, among, among my people, this will never happen. You have to have one scale for whether it's a foreigner or whether it's a, a local. There has to be one scale. It has to be done with integrity. And he had all these rules how they're to conduct themselves. And he transformed them from uh, a mindset of, of living in a slum where just everything's thrown aside and they cobbled up shacks and, and just slapped together housing and uh, rags on their, for, their, for their clothing and no hygiene. And he transformed them into the one most unique nations on earth. In fact, he transformed them into the greatest nation on earth. And he raised up the greatest army on earth an army that couldn't be defeated. He's the captain of the host. He's the captain of the army. And, and he leads them. He shows them how to take other countries, how to take over other nations. It's an amazing transformation. Plus, he had a health plan that was out of this world. He said, all the diseases that are around, all the nations around you, they'll not be on you. If you obey me, if you walk, do what I tell you to do. And he's a mighty king who totally transformed his people. Now, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the story of Marco Polo. Marco Polo's a young guy in Italy, and, and he uh, travels with his uncles and his father. And they go from nation to nation. And they're so afraid as they're traveling that they sew the coins, they sew their money into their clothing because there's robbers everywhere. And when they'd come into a certain kingdom, and every kingdom was different, they'd be exploited and taken advantage of, and they're trying to, they're trying to uh, get their money from them. They're trying to rob them or take advantage of them in the marketplace. And they just walk, they walk with such tension because everywhere they go, they're being exploited and taken advantage of. And I, I, I've seen that. I've felt that as I've traveled and I go from place to place. I've had policemen rob me. I've had policemen do things that policemen should never do. You feel exploited. They see the color of your skin and they're going to take advantage of you. It's happened so much. Can you imagine, can you imagine if you were traveling 
like Marco Polo, and you're traveling from nation to nation, kingdom to kingdom, and all of a sudden you come to the kingdom of God, where the invisible king reigns forever. And you get among the kingdom of God, you've just come out of a place where you've been robbed, you've been ripped off in the marketplace, your money, has, you've been exploited because you had to exchange your money for their money, and they, they robbed you every way that they could, and every home, you, uh, you know, they're trying to rob you, trying to steal your bags, trying to steal your stuff, and all of a sudden, you step into the kingdom of God, this region where the invisible king rules and reigns, and the place is Spick and span. The place is clean. There's no litter. There's no human waste. I've, I don't know how many times I've walked where you had to watch every step you took because there's just waste everywhere. And you come to the kingdom of God, and that doesn't happen. And there's no slum. There's no deep pockets of poverty. And you go to the marketplace, and it's the same price for the locals as it is for you, and they know you don't speak the language, and they know you're a stranger. And not only that, but their king has told them when a stranger comes, you give to them. You invite them to your home. Feed them. Feed their donkey. Feed their camel. Look after them. Make sure that they're protected. Make sure that they're on their way with provision. So you're making wraps and sandwiches and sending them off, and they're scratching their head. And they said, the last few, few kingdoms that we've been in, they just robbed us every which way they could rob us. And we get here to this kingdom, and they're so kind. They're, they invite us. They, they, they exude hospitality and health. Not only that, every kingdom we were in, they just work people to the bone. This kingdom has celebration days. They have holidays, whole seven-day periods, several times a year where they can just stop working and worship God and go up and have this massive barbecue. No other kingdom on earth had ever done anything like that. A week of barbecue provided by the king, mandated by the king. Not only that, every kingdom that they're in, they just work people to the bone and they stay up late at night working and they work every day. There's no break. There's no vacation, no concept of retirement. In this kingdom, they look after their old people. In this kingdom, every seventh day is to be a day of rest from your labors because the king rested. And, and, and these were, and they get talking. They said, why do you do this? How come you treat us this way? They said, well, it's our king. Our king has told us this is how we're to live. And it was so different, so different. And he was so different than any other king on earth. And if you can imagine leaving the kingdom of God and you, 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 you step across the boundary into the next place and it's just filthy. I've been to places that you, can, you can't hardly walk. It's so filthy. And everywhere your eye turns, it's one idol being carried after an idol. Uh, idol after idol just being carried. And the place feels filthy. It feels demonic. It feels dark. It feels awful. And then all of a sudden you, you say, man, I'm back into this creepy feeling and I got to hide my bag and I got to sew my coins back in my, my coat and there's robbers everywhere and there's no penalty, there's no crimes. Even the king himself robs people. 
exploits people. There's no crimes. And, all, and they say, this is awful. This feels so awful. Let's go back. And they go back into this kingdom of God, which is so bright and clean. And the people are bright and clean. And they're hospitable. And they look you in the eye. And they speak to you decently. And they want to give to you. They want to provide. They're fighting over who's going who's gonna to have you to their home. And you look at their kids. And their kids are disciplined. And their kids... Kids respect their parents, and they realize, you know, we've just been in so many kingdoms, and it's just so awful. Kids running all over the street, no one, they, they don't obey anybody. They're the worst little criminals that there are. And here, the, everyone's, everyone uh, reads and writes. Everyone is educated. Can you imagine stepping out of that kingdom and going back into the darkness again and all of a sudden you start realizing we've just, we've just stepped into something that was so amazing. There's no other place on earth like the kingdom of God where he rules and reigns as the invisible king. Then you can imagine this, how heavy this would be People would come up and they would talk to you and they'd say, tell us about your king. I mean, this is an amazing place. Everything, the houses are sturdy. The gardens are burgeoning. This, everything's got prosperity written on it. Everybody's employed. Everybody's got a job. I mean, tell us about your king. And they said, well, we, we have a king. Well, what's he look like? We don't know. He's invisible. No one has ever seen him before. Well, he's, how do you know he's, he exists? Well, he has a prophet. He has a, a person who speaks on, he speaks through this person. Well, how do you know that man's just not playing with you? How do you know he's not exploiting you? Well, it doesn't work that way. It just isn't that way. They said, you should see our king. You should see his chair. He's got a crown that weighs 70 pounds, pure gold. You should see our king, regal. Stunning. What's your king look like? And they said, well, we don't know. We don't, we've never, no one's ever seen him. We heard stories that sometimes our elders had a picnic up in the mountains and they, they saw his feet, but that's all. We don't get to see him. Something began to erode in their hearts. And they got a committee together and they come up to Samuel, who's now the current mouthpiece, the spokesman for God. And they come up to Samuel and they said, Samuel, you're getting old. You're going to be leaving the scene soon. And your kids don't walk like you. They're not people of integrity like you. And we can see that something's going to change here before long. And, and, and here's our request. We want a king like everyone else. We want a king we can see. We want a king who can go lead us in the battle one that we can see. And Samuel was so angry. He was so angry at the suggestion that they didn't want God to be their king anymore. And he went to God and God says, don't be angry for my sake. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They don't want me to reign over them. He's the king that nobody wanted. He said, tell them I'll give them a king. They can have a king. Tell them this. Tell them what a king will do. 
And Samuel goes back to him and he says, you don't, you, you don't even know what you're asking. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a king. And that king is going to, he's going to take your lands and give them to his servants. He's going to tax you upon tax upon tax. He's going to take your sons for his servant to serve him. He's going to take your sons and he'll, he'll get all bent out of shape and pride and he'll take them off into some useless war. They won't come home. He'll take your daughters and they'll serve him. They'll work in the fields and they'll be his servants. He'll take the best of everything you have. He'll, he'll, take, he'll take from you. See, the king, the invisible king, was a giver who gave, who provided, who benefited. And it started a series of kingdom kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of men, that was such a disaster. It wasn't long. The first king was a complete failure. He, he wouldn't even hardly acknowledge God as king. And when he did, God ignored him because he would he'd only do it periodically. He wasn't really in touch with him. Second king, David, is an amazing king. And he becomes the, the prototype, the highest mark of, of what a king should be like. And we'll talk more about him in a minute. After him, his son came on, and then the kingdom was divided in half. There was no splits under the, when the invisible God was king, but now the thing is wrecked. It's divided. And there are 19 kings of Israel, and they're all bad. And they led the people away from God. They'd carve out this calf and said, this is the Lord your God who led you out of Israel. And they led them into witchcraft, led them in idolatry, led them in, in sensuality, led them in, in pornography. I mean, it's just, it led them in, in, in uh, abortion. It's an amazing period of time, just a, a horrible. Each kingdom got worse and worse and worse. Then the kingdom of Judah, David came out of. They had 20 kings. There's one queen in the mix. They had 20, but there are only eight out of the 20 that were good. None of them served the Lord with all of their heart. David was the only one. David is unique. And what David did that was so profound, uh, he'd go out of his roof at night and he'd say things like this. You are the Lord God, my king. You're the king of Israel. You, we, we know who really is king. It's you. And he started leading the people into an, an understanding of God being king. And the greatest revelation that you'll ever find in the Old Testament concerning God being king is our, they're in the Psalms of David. And David just kept calling him king. He'd say, lift up your heads, O you gates. Let the king of glory come in. And he just kept the king before them. And when they'd go off in the battle, he said, no, we got to acknowledge the king. And he'd go before the Lord and said, He'd say, do I fight? Do I forbear? Do I go this way? Do I go this way? How do you want me to win this thing? How do you want me to do this? And God as king would always lead him, and he never lost the battle. In fact, he took more territory than anybody in any kingdom. He just kept winning, expanding the borders of the kingdom of God. And he kept, kept people aware that God really is our king. Jehovah is our king. He rules. He reigns over us. And the prosperity of David's kingdom. It said silver was as common as gravel. Just abundant. Abundance of everything. Amazing time. God began to speak to him. He says, 
to the people of Israel, I promise David that there will never be a, 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 a cessation of, of someone from David being on the king's throne forever. I'll reign through him. I'll rule through him, through his seed. To another king, he might say, I'll rule through you for four generations. I'll, I'll bless your children for four generations. But for David, it was forever. I, I love his heart. He wasn't perfect, but his heart was completely toward God. He says, I, I promise that there'll be a, a king on your throne forever. And the kingdom of man just got worse and worse until finally another king greater than them came and just took them all in chains, put hooks in their nose, noses and their nostrils and took them to a, a place where they didn't know the culture, they didn't speak the language, they didn't know the food and the place is polluted with idolatry and takes them from the land that the Lord, the invisible king had given them and took them away back into slavery again for, for years. They lost everything. Imagine having your own houses, your own businesses, your own culture, your own food, and all of a sudden you're taken away and taken out because you've disobeyed what God's word had said. The kingdom of man versus the kingdom of the invisible king. What a contrast. Here, here's one way to see it. There are 66 words in the Lord's Prayer. There's 179 words in the Ten Commandments. There are 286 words in the Gettysburg Address. There are 1,300 words in the Declaration of Independence. There are 26,911 words in the U.S. government regulation for the sale of cabbage. That's the difference between when men rule and when God rules, the kingdom of God. Here they are, they're in bondage. And the Lord starts speaking. He starts speaking through Daniel, one of their young men who's living also in Babylon. And he starts getting this vision of the kingdom of God being established again in the earth and it would last forever. And he says, the kingdom's going to come. He's going to come in dominion. He's going to come. He's going to rule and reign. Can you imagine that word? Because they knew they had missed it. They knew they had lost it. They were set up. They had such a golden opportunity, such a wonderful streak. They had uh, uh, about 500 years of the invisible king ruling and reigning. And in just, just uh, a lifetime, they lost it all. Just in a generation and a half, they lost everything. Can you imagine how awful that would be? And they knew they missed it. And God is so gracious. He's so merciful. Here's what he said. He said, I will come and I'll rule and reign again. But this time, you'll see me. I'm going to come through David. I'm going to sit on his throne. I will come. I will come and I'll be born among you as a king. And not just a king, a king and a priest. A king and a pastor, a king and a mighty warrior. And he described himself prophetically. He said, you'll see me coming and I'll ride on a baby donkey as your king. And he started describing himself coming again. Can you imagine the hope that that would, 
uh, impact every heart where people said, you know, we missed it. We thought it was lost forever. Now God's promising that he'll come back. He'll establish his kingdom again. He'll rule. He'll, re he'll reign again. He'll be in dominion again. What a tremendous thing. And this promise that he would come and actually be born among them. For a long time, every time a baby, born, a baby boy was born in, in Israel, they'd say, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the promise. God's going to rule and reign again. He's going to establish his kingdom again. Maybe this is the child that he's going to use to establish himself as king again. Tremendous thing. Isaiah Psalm, Isaiah prophesied about the king ruling. See, when you take the word kingdom, it's got king, dom. That's dominion. That's in charge. Anytime the king, the invisible king, is in charge, that's king, dom, the kingdom of God. God wants to rule, He wants to reign, He wants to have dominion. Then there's this period. It went on for hundreds of years where there was nothing, no prophets, no word from God, no sense of what's going to happen. They, cut, they get brought back into Israel, but it's not the same. It's, it's broken. It doesn't work. It, the economy is broken. The spiritual life that they had where they had incredible times of, of worship and fire coming from God, lighting their altars, all that is gone. And they're still, now they're back and they're, they're having a synagogue culture where they have schools everywhere. Uh, because that, they had lost the temple, and everything, everything, has, everything has changed. Even when they rebuilt the temple, it wasn't the same as when God was king. So can you imagine a day when there's this, a voice in the wilderness, a prophet who gets up, and this is what he says. It must have been electric. It must have been just a moment like they'd never heard. It must have made their ears tingle. All of a sudden, this young prophet, he starts preaching. He'd say, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's not someday. It's now. It's within reach. It's here. What an amazing message. And everywhere he preached, he preached about God, the invisible king, ruling and reigning again. It's this close. It's as close as your hand. It's this close. It must have created a sensation because it's what every heart longed for. They knew the economy was broken. They knew it was famine after famine. They knew that their enemies would just walk right in and live among them. Gentiles ruled in their, in their land, in their beautiful, pristine land. Gentiles would just tell them what to do, and they had to do it. These are, these are people who were idolaters, and they're the ones who are in charge. We need God to come back. We need God to rule and reign again. We need God to fight our battles. We need God to set the economy. We need God to make things right. We need God as king again. And now this guy, he's prophesying the kingdom of God is at hand. It must have been just absolutely amazing. And Jesus comes. And he's born as a king. And wise men came from the east when he'd have been about two years old. They come from the east. And they, say, they come to the Herod and they said, we know the king of the Jews is here. We know the king that God had promised is here. We saw his star. We know he's born. We know he exists. We know he's in the earth. It must have just been something. And Herod, rather than rejoicing, set out his bodyguards and set them out into this village where they... 
They told him that he had to be and, and just slaughtered all the, all the boys of that age, hoping to eliminate the king because he's the king that nobody wants. He's the king that nobody wants. Even the, even the king of Israel wanted him dead. But God protected him using angels and using dreams and led him off and into another place where he could survive. And he actually goes back into Egypt and waits there for that king to die. And he comes, he dies, he, the king comes back as a baby and is raised in an obscure little village. But he really is the king of Israel. He really is the hope of Israel. He really is the one who's going to establish the kingdom of God. So when they hear him and they see him and he's being proclaimed as king and he's preaching about the kingdom and he's the only one, they'd never heard anyone, he'd say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And they're just, they're just arrested by that because that's language. They understand that in their history. That, that's from that period when the invisible God really ruled and reigned. Before there were kings, he said, this is the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. This is how it operates. This is how it comes. This is how you get it. If you want God to come and to rule in your circumstance, you invite him. You say, king, come. Let your kingdom come. Come and have dominion in my body, in my money, in my marriage, in my circumstance. Anything that's broken, anything that's not working, you can invite him and he would come. And Jesus started establishing what the kingdom of God would look like. He said, it's not like you've seen, you've seen before. It's not like you daydreamed. It's not like you've heard. It's not going to be a kingdom where you can say, this is the kingdom. It's geographic. You cross this border and you come in the kingdom. He said, it's not going to be like that way. He said, it's going to be in you. It's going to be in you. So that heart for cleanliness, that heart for order, that heart for hospitality, that heart for, of generosity, that heart that wants to protect the foreigners, the innocent, the people who can't protect themselves, that's going to be kicking in inside of you. So it's not geographic, but you can step into someone's business and they love the king and they let the king rule and reign through them. And, and you can see it on their person. You can see it in a home. You can see it among the children. You can see it among the families. You can see it among communities who truly loved each other and honored each other because they accepted and believed in the invisible king and they wanted to honor his word. They wanted to live his way. They wanted to do what he said. He said, it's different than anything you've ever thought. And then it just seemed to go from bad to worse. There's this moment where they sat him on a donkey, a baby donkey, a donkey that had never been ridden before with wobbly legs. And he doesn't have a sash of gold. He doesn't have any crowns. He doesn't even have a sword. And as he's got this uh, uh, the followers who are just a motley crew, ordinary, ordinary people. And they're following him. And they set him on this donkey and he starts going down into Jerusalem through the gates of Jerusalem. And they start shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. And they're shouting this and taking off their clothing and throwing it down on the pathway for the king to come down. They're breaking branches off the trees and waving them and setting them down in front for the donkey to walk on. Because he's the king of Israel. And it's an amazing moment, the joy in the place. There hadn't been joy on that hillside since David came down with the Ark of the Covenant. And the invisible king was there, present. 
tangible. Nothing like this had been done before. People are shouting to the king. The kids are singing. Every, the joy in the place was just amazing. Three days later, those same people are saying, crucify him, crucify him, kill him, kill him, kill him, because he's the king that nobody wants. He's the king who was invisible. He is I am. He's the one that led them out of Egypt. He's the one that led them in the wilderness. He's the one that provided. He's the bread of heaven. He's the water out of the rock. He's everything. And now they can see him, and they still don't want him. He doesn't look very kingly. He doesn't look like someone who can kick the Romans out. And it all goes south. There's this moment where the rulers set him up as a criminal. And they, they say that he's blasphemy, that he's actually spoken against God, and that he's against the, the Roman king. He's telling people not to pay taxes. None of it was true. They lined him up, they brought him in, and they stood him up in front of everyone, and all the leaders of Israel came and took turns, walking up in front of him and spitting in his face, just like it was prophesied. He even said days before, he says, they're going to spit on me. They're going to falsely accuse me. They're going to kill me. And he'd been saying it to his followers. And they came. The, the worst thing you could do, I mean, if a parent ever spat on their children's face, it would just be the worst rejection you could, you could think of. And they came, and they took their turn. They stood in front of him, and they spit on him. They spit in his face. Then they took him, and they hauled him, they hauled him over to King Herod. And he's demented. He's a nut job. He's just absolutely insane. And they bring him before King Herod. And he's hoping that he'd do a little magic, that he'd do a little trick for him. And Jesus absolutely ignores him, just shuts down, doesn't even look at him, won't even speak. So Herod got his bodyguard together and said, punch him out. And they just beat him. They take the palms of their hands and hit him in the face. They'd spit on him. They put this gorgeous robe on him and said, hail to the king. Because he's the king that nobody wants. They pass him back to Herod. And Herod stand, or to uh, Pilate. And Pilate stands there and he says, are you really a king? And Jesus said, yes, for this reason was I born. He really is the king. And Pilate believes it and has nailed on his cross the king of the Jews. But before they did that, he turned him over to his soldiers, and they spit on him. They made a, a, a wreath of thorns as a crown and they mocked him and they put it on his head and then they hit him over the head with rods. They punched him, they beat him. They put a, a gorgeous uh, purple robe on him and bowed their knees and said, hail to the king, hail to the king of the Jews. Can you imagine the mockery? But he really is the king. He really is the invisible king made visible. Isn't that astounding that this would happen? Astounding. Then hung him between two thieves naked. His crime, he's the king of the Jews. It's the only crime that they could come up with. His crime, he's a king. They said, no, he said he's king. They said, it is what I, it is what I wrote. He is the king of the Jews. 
And then he died. And one of the soldiers said, this is truly the son of God. Then one evening, it must have been terrible to see something so promising, so regal, so royal, someone so decent, someone who, who knew the laws of God, knew the hearts of God, acted like the, acted like the king, someone royal like Jesus, and he's, he's crucified and killed. Then one night, he steps through their walls and appears to them and shows them how they marked his hands and sighed and sat down for the next 40 days with those people, visible as I am, and taught them the kingdom of God. Can you imagine listening to that? Imagine having Jesus explain the kingdom of God. He says, it's not like anything you thought of before. It's not visible. It's not tangible. It's in hearts. It's in homes. It's in families. It's in collections of people. And people will be able to walk from one business to another. They walk from one business and they're exploited. They walk to the next business and they're just taken care of poorly. They're given to. They're not taken advantage of. They're actually given to. They're protected. It's in hearts. And he described God's plan from the very beginning that he'd be invisible. He'd become visible, become invisible again but establish his kingdom heart to heart, home to home, church to church, and he explained it all to them. Can you imagine listening to something like that, having Jesus explain it? He's the kingdom. He's the king in charge. Let me just share this and we'll stop. It's possible to know him as Savior, but not King. It's possible to have experienced him as Savior where he take care of your sins and your embarrassment, your shame, and cover that, wash that all away with his blood. But not let him rule and reign in your affairs. Not let him rule and reign in your marriage. Not let him rule and reign in your circumstances, your business, your money, your motives, your mouth. It's possible to acknowledge him as king in theory, but not allow him to actually sit down inside of you and be the one who decides where you go and what you do, how you spend your time. See, if he's the king in charge, the way to really experience that is to defer to him, to acknowledge him, to turn to him and say, you're in charge of my life. I want you to decide. I've, I've, I've decided so many things and I'm just embarrassed that my decisions, you're my king you speak. You're invisible, but I believe in you. Speak to me. Guide me. Lead me. Provide for me. Fight my battles for me. I'm not taking up a sword against anybody. I'm not, I'm not dealing with my enemies in a typical way. I trust you to turn their hearts. I trust you to show me the way out. You're my king. He said this. Jesus said this. It's so profound. He said, he said, if you're going through something, doesn't matter what it is, you're going through something, if you, if you invite him to come as a king into that circumstance, he will come with his mighty power and he'll rule and reign in any circumstance, any trouble you're going through. That's what gave me the freedom to be able to go into, into idolatry uh, ridden countries and go in there alone. I, I could go there and not be afraid of, of being exploited because the invisible king was walking with me. I was there as an ambassador of his. I was there on his, 
his invitation. I was doing what he asked me to do, and it just gave me courage. It gave me freedom. It gave me a freedom to go where no one should go alone. But I could do it because the invisible king. I invited him. He invited me. He's the king that has to be invited. He'll never kick down the door of your heart. He'll never impose his kingdom on you. Unless you ask for it, it will not come. He's the king who knocks at the door. If any man opens unto him, he will come in unto him and sit down in his heart and sup with him. But he'll only do it on an, on an invitation basis. He's a mighty king, but he will not force his rule. He'll not make you do anything. You can live your own life. You can make your own way. You can choose your way, how you do, how you deal with your spouse, how you deal with your enemies. You can decide all of that. You'll live with the consequences, but you can decide that. You see, because he's still the king that not everybody wants. Not everybody wants him to be the decider in their life. Not everybody wants him to have the final say. What about you? Do you want him to rule and reign inside of you? Would you let him? Circumstance by circumstance, decision by decision, conflict by conflict. I do this. I, I say, King Jesus, I can't. My prayer, my prayer is so often, I can't, I can't, I can't. But you can, you can, you can. You're so big. You're so mighty. Come, help me. I can't. David tapped into this. David was, David was, he's amazing. Here he is. He's one of the mightiest soldiers ever known in Israel. He's the leader of the 30th mighty men on the, on the, on the ever known in history. He's the leader of the 30 mighty men. I mean, he's mighty. He's mighty. I mean, he's been in war since he was a, a teenager. He's, he's just mighty, physically mighty. Understands war, understands how to defeat the enemy. He's been in so many battles, undefeated. And he's a billionaire. He's one of the richest men on earth. When it comes to laying up money for the house of God when they wanted to build a, a, a place for worship, he donated, he donated. They couldn't even count the silver and gold. They couldn't even count the material that David put together. He just said, it's been all given to me. It's booty from all these wars. It's been homage that's been given to me as a great king from other kings. And I give it to the invisible king. I give it to God. And he laid it all out there in, 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 in such ways they couldn't even measure it. So here you are. You're super rich. You're mighty in, in valor and battle. You're mighty. And you're the greatest king on earth. And here's his prayer. You can read this in Psalm uh, 131. Listen to David. He said, oh, God, I don't, I don't entertain anything that's too high for me. I don't entertain myself in great matters. I'm just like a weaned child nursing on his mother's breast. I'm just a baby. I don't know what to do. I look to you. You're my king. He saw himself. Here he is. He, he's so capable. Rich people, oftentimes, because they can do anything, they do. And they don't acknowledge him in a real way. It's more of a token kind of way. But David was rich, but he really let God rule and reign in his life. And he said, I, I'm like a weaned child. He said, I, 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 I can't. I can't. I can't. But you can. You can. You can. 
And he saw God as his protector, his provider, his leader, his guide. He said, you've been my guide from my youth. David is a mighty king. Listen, here's what he did. This, this is a, a major key. He became, he's, he's rich, he's mighty, he's a ruler, he's super attractive in every way. Everyone defers to him, and he actually defers to the invisible king. He says, no, 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 you're really the king of Israel. He said, me? I'm a baby. I'm a child. I'm just a nursing child. And he actually became childlike. So Jesus gets up hundreds of years later, and he says, here's how you enter into the kingdom of God. Except you become as a little child, you won't tap into this thing. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about enjoying the kingdom of heaven here now. He said, the way you do that is you say, I could decide that, but in a real sense, I can't, because when I've done it before, it hasn't worked. Hang on a second. King Jesus, what would you do? How would you do it? How do you want me to do this? Speak to me. And he's the invisible king, and you defer to him like a little child. And you say, help me. And he does. He comes into your circumstance, and he rules, and he reigns, and he takes control. That's the king, Dom. He takes control because we give it to him. We defer to him because he's the king that we want, ruling and reigning in our lives. You got a health issue, and you say, King Jesus, you have a health plan. Come into my circumstance. Come into my circumstance. Help me with my health. Help me with my, my motives. Help me with my marriage. It's a powerful thing when you say, I can't solve this marriage problem. I can't seem to change the person's heart. I can't change my circumstance. I don't know any way out of this thing. If it runs its course, it's going to be, it's going to be divorce. It's going to end in a, in, a, in a disaster. King Jesus, come. I want your kingdom to come. Come into my marriage. Come into my marriage. Change me. Change them. But come, rule and reign in my circumstance because I want you to be the king of my heart. You were born for this. You are born for this. Then you see something powerful in Revelation 19, where it talks about the king coming again, and he comes on a white horse, and he has a gold sash, and he has many crowns, and he has a sword coming out of his mouth, fire in his eyes. He has an entourage of all these holy people dressed in white, all on their white horses. He's got king of kings and lord of lords written across him. He's got the most beautiful garments on, and he comes in victory. In, in victory. He comes, and everyone sees him as the, as the mighty king that he really is. Then everyone will behold him. Everyone will say, oh, you're the king. <laughs> we didn't know. But he's going to come. And he's going to rule and reign in, in the earth in such a profound way. But what about now? What about today? Can he be the ruler of your life? Can he make the decisions that you're facing? Can he solve the problems that you can't seem to solve? If you're filled with anxiety, you're not using him as king. If you're filled with worry, you don't see him as king of the future. If you're, fear, if you're, if you're discouraged and feel like quitting, you, your eyes need to be open. You don't really see him as mighty. You don't, your king is too small. Or maybe you're the king. Maybe you're the sovereign of your own life. 
Either you'll be sovereign or he'll be sovereign. One way or the other, you have to choose. Who's going to be the sovereign of your life? If your life doesn't make sense, if there's no order, if, if you're... Your direction is just one mistake after another. You can't blame the invisible king. You have to own up to that and say, I've been leading myself. Praying, asking, asking him to bless my plans. No wonder it doesn't work. You have to be like David. You just have to become childlike and say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But you can, you can, you can. Amen? When we sing about him being born as a king, this is what we should be thinking. It's the kingdom of God. Let's stand together.